So as we said before, we're walking through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, Jesus showed up on the shores of the Jordan River for the first time since he was a child to be baptized by John the Baptist. John, who was preaching this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, come, repent, turn away from your evil ways, be washed in the Jordan River as a sign of your forgiveness, and go to live new and holy lives. And as Jesus comes to be baptized, the heavens are opened, the Spirit of God, he sees descend and remain on him like a dove. He hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And then that same spirit sends him out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and then to be tempted by Satan himself. That's the story we're going to hear this morning. And as we do, I want to just take a moment to remember how remarkable it is that Jesus was tempted Jesus, who is God in the flesh, God who cannot be tempted, is tempted. Because in Jesus, he has come this far down. He's emptied himself this far. He's humbled himself this much. That in Jesus, even God can be tempted. That he is like us in every way. Not just made flesh like us, but even here tempted And not just tempted, but after 40 days of fasting at his weakest possible point, tempted. Jesus knew temptation, just as we do. It's a reality of our lives. And though we usually think of temptation in terms of sexual temptation or big things like stealing or cheating, in fact, Jesus did teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation. We usually think of it as big and evil and bad, And yet this week we'll find that sometimes, some temptations, when we begin to see them as such, when we begin to feel that pull within ourselves between two things, temptation itself can function as a doorway. These temptations were gateways for Jesus into his life of ministry. And as we follow him, we'll find these same three temptations to be three gateways for us as we step into a life of faith, as we step into life with Jesus, as we step into the abundant life that Christ offers to us. So if you need life this morning, do whatever you need to do to listen well to the book that breathes it. From Matthew chapter 4. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you're God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live by bread alone but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down. For it's written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again, it's written, 
don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, I will give you all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it's written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So the devil left him, and angels came and took care of him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Before we look at each of those three temptations this morning, I want to just take a moment to recognize Jesus' defense in the face of temptation. At his weakest point, having fasted 40 days, Satan himself, the tempter, shows up to tempt Jesus. And Jesus responds to that temptation, not by digging deep into himself, not with a heroic display of willpower, not by tapping uh, us until then untapped resources within himself, but by quoting scripture, by leaning upon the scriptures he has studied and known since his youth. And if you noticed, in the first temptation, he responds quoting scripture. So in the second temptation, Satan himself quotes scripture back to him as part of the temptation. Because scripture itself, when plucked out of context, can be used in all sorts of nefarious ways. Which means Jesus not only knew enough scripture to respond to the temptations, he knew it well enough to even know when it was used wrong. I wonder if we know the word well enough to use it as a sword in our defense against temptation. If we have it ready, if we've memorized parts of it and have it on the tip of our tongues when we need to hear it and to speak it. But there could be four or five sermons in here, so we'll get to the rest of it. Because what I want to do this morning is to look at these three temptations each to see what about them was temptation for Jesus, to see how he responded, and to see what that can tell us about the temptations we face and about how these stand for us as gateways into the abundant life with Jesus. So let's look at the first temptation. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. It says he's starving, and so the tempter shows up and says, you're the son of God, right? Weren't you just baptized a few weeks ago? Didn't you, didn't you hear the voice from God saying, you're my son? Isn't the Holy Spirit upon you? Didn't you see that happen? Don't those stones look a little like loaves of bread? You're hungry, right? Do something about it. You're the son of God, right? You can, can't you? Turn them into bread. Eat, satisfy your hunger. What's the big deal? And what is the big deal? Why is this temptation? Well, it was a temptation because it was a temptation to deny the conditions set by God for what it was to be human. See, we're bodies that are vulnerable. We have needs. We hunger. This is part of what it means to be human. This is part of how God made us. And here Jesus is tempted to use his special relationship with God as a sort of magic wand to meet all his earthly needs. 
It was a temptation to shortcut being human, to be not fully human at all, but just human when it served his purposes. And when it got tough, to lean back into that divine part and skip over the difficulty of being a person, a body. This was a temptation to deny the incarnation, to deny being one with us and one of us. And of course, Jesus recognizes it as such and refuses. Jesus embraces God's way. Jesus embraces his humanity. And in his response, he quotes scripture from Deuteronomy. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, every word that God speaks. In denying this temptation, Jesus gives up something else too. See, Jesus could have made his mission all about meeting our needs. There are lots of people who are hungry. Jesus saw it. Jesus understood that suffering. Jesus was feeling that suffering himself. Jesus had the power to do something about it, and he could have just made his mission in the world about satisfying our bodily needs. He could have seen to it that everyone had food. Everyone had clothing and shelter. At times, he did miracles like this. He could have used his whole life to do that for everyone he met to make sure everyone had all of their physical needs met. But he didn't. He chose a different path. And we can see what that path was by looking more closely at his response. Humans won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. Yes, as human beings, we have needs and we are vulnerable. Yes, we hunger and we thirst. But Jesus knew something deeper about that hunger. He knew it was insatiable. Enough is an elusive target for us as human beings. Even we, who are some of the most privileged people the world has ever known, even we who have more stuff and more conveniences and more money than anyone who's ever come before us, even we still hunger for more and feel as though we don't have enough. The more we get, the more we want. In the old legend, Faust gives in to the devil's temptation, unlike Jesus. He's able to taste and to savor all the things the world has to offer, experience every amazing experience, everything the world has, he experiences. And you know what? He becomes bored. It could not satisfy him. It could not fill him. Only for a little while would it, and he'd be left hungry again. It cannot fill us because there is this indefinable chasm and craving within us that the world cannot fill. We were made to desire, we were made to hunger, and to delight in what we consume, and all of that is good, it is part of how God made us, but we must remember that those things will never really satisfy. They cannot fill us up, and they can't fill us up because we do not live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by God. And in quoting that passage from Deuteronomy, Jesus reminds us of that which will fill us. That which we truly hunger for, 
that we hunger for God and for God's word. That the hunger within us cannot be satisfied in this world, but is meant to point us on to the only thing that can. Have you ever had an experience where you said, if only I had blank, I'd be happy? Car, house, kids, job, fill in the blank. If only I had blank, I'd be happy. And then you get it, and it's amazing, and it's everything you ever wished it could be and ever hoped for until it wasn't. And you found yourself hoping for the next thing and longing for something else. If only you had that, you'd be satisfied. Experiences like that are so important for us to experience and to remember because they show us our restless heart. They show us that the world cannot satisfy that restlessness that is within us. That there is only one thing that can fill that void. People won't live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by God. The temptation, the danger for us is to forget that the world cannot satisfy us. It is to numb that desire with more and more, with food and money and stuff and people. The danger is to allow a thirst and a hunger for what the world cannot satisfy to be blunted by gluttony, to be smothered by greed for possessions, to let our lives be simply filled with the desire for goods or to establish our own worth by our homes or our cars or our style of life. We're invited in this first temptation to pay attention to the other desires, to the cravings in us that only God and God's word can truly satisfy. And this is the first gateway we pass through. We enter it the moment we realize that the best this world offers cannot really satisfy us. When we realize that we have been chasing after the wrong things, and that our hunger goes deeper than we could imagine. People won't live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by God. And you are pointed in the right direction if you sense within you the hunger that these words articulate. That's the first temptation, our first gateway. And as Jesus meets it, the devil brings him out somewhere else for another. They go up to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. And there Satan himself quotes scripture. If you like scripture so much, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, God will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up so that your feet are not dashed upon a stone. If you really did hear that voice from heaven back in your baptism, proclaiming your God's Son, if you really trust those scriptures of yours, then prove it. Jump! He'll catch you. Or don't you really believe all that stuff you say? Jesus is tempted, in other words, to prove his divine identity by leveraging it for miraculous protection. Underneath this, Satan is asking Jesus to assume that God's power and love mean God's assurance of protection. 
that if you really believe in God and if God really loves you, then God will keep you safe and secure no matter what. And so he's asking Jesus to put on a show of it, appearing not just on the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, but to jump off for all to see and be miraculously saved, to shout, I am the Messiah. God's protection is on me and will be on you too if you just follow. And who wouldn't want to follow Jesus if that's what he could really offer us? Perfect protection and safety and security every moment of every day of your life. All too often we make that link in our heads between faith in God and God's protection of us. We assume what Jesus refuses to, that if we just believe in God enough, God will protect us. That if we love God and put our trust in God, and if God loves us, God will keep us safe from all harm no matter what comes. And we believe in that connection so strongly that we unconsciously make it a test of God. That if God doesn't intervene in our lives to keep us safe when something happens, then God must not love us or we must not believe in God enough. Hence Jesus' reply, again quoting the scriptures, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This temptation isn't just for Jesus to prove to himself and to the world that he's God's son by forcing God to protect him from danger as he jumps. It's also a temptation to deny another one of the conditions that God has set for us as humans. So when God made the world, God chose to make us creatures, physical, with bodies that are vulnerable and fragile, Beings that are liable to destruction and to harm, vulnerable both to a destructive world and the consequences of our own destructiveness. And when God made us fragile, God also chose not to always supernaturally jump in and provide for our safety and our security. And the temptation here is to make that safety and security, our miraculous rescue, a test of the legitimacy of our faith and of God's love. It's the temptation to make our faith a tool to just get whatever we want out of God, be that safety, be that healing, be that something else. It's to use God to get whatever we want. But to wield God like that is to make ourselves masters over God, is to control God like a genie trapped in a lamp, forced to grant our wishes. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, Jesus says. And this is the second gateway. Accepting that we won't always get what we want. That we won't be spared all suffering and sorrow. And understanding that doesn't sink us into nihilism like the atheists. It actually allows us to discover something of true faith. It allows us to love and follow and believe in God, not because of what we'll get out of it, but because God is God and there is no other. Faith that's only about getting what we want out of God, be that healing or long life or a fulfilling marriage or relationship or a better job or anything else, isn't really faith. And it certainly isn't love. 
Love isn't love when it's only about getting what you want out of it. But when we can give all of that up and allow God to be God and accept our place as vulnerable creatures held in God's hands, we step through a second gateway into true faith and true joy, into hope and into love. Which brings us to the third temptation. Satan brings Jesus up onto a high mountain and shows him somehow all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. And he says, all this can be yours. I'll give it to you right now. No sense going through everything else that's going to come and all that unpleasantness. It's yours now. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And the temptation isn't, of course, just to worship Satan. The temptation is also to believe that all the kingdoms of the earth are Satan's to give away in the first place. And to rule over them by Satan's means. And the means by which he would command their allegiance and following. From the very beginning, God made humanity with with freedom. When God first made us, God had a choice. For God made us and loved us and desired that we love God in return. But how would that love be accomplished? How would we come to follow God? In creation, God made an incredibly difficult decision not to coerce, not to force us to worship God. That, after all, wouldn't have been true worship. It wouldn't have been real love if we only did it by force, if we did it because we were programmed to like robots or because we were under threat of violence. No, God knew the only way we could truly love is if we were free not to. And that must have been a terrible decision to have to make. Because not only did it open the door to our rebellion and our turning away from God, it also allows for all of the evil and consequences that have entered into the world by our not following God. And yet this is the decision that God made. And here Jesus is tempted to choose a different way. To instead embrace Satan's force and coercion to worship him and so to rule over the world by the means of which Satan would conquer it. Force, violence, power. We know, though, what Jesus chose. Jesus chooses to embrace God's ways. Jesus chooses the way of the cross and replies, again, it is written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus' mission is to submit, is to empty, is to humble himself. His mission is to take the way of the cross. And that means not only allowing evil and rebellion, but in the end to submit even to it, to be overcome even by it, to die on the cross And in that way, to enact God's love for us and for the world. This would be the way Christ would rule. This would be the shape of Christ's kingdom. Not power and coercion and violence, but humility and submission and self-giving love. 
We are tempted not to trust God's ways of working in the world. Love and submission defy our logic. They don't work. We're even tempted within the church not to trust in the horrible beauty of the cross as a compelling enough witness to the world. And so we take on the task of making Jesus more relevant to the world or we posture ourselves to be more attractive based on the shifting winds of our cultural moment. Or perhaps we are tempted by force, tempted to make ends justify means. And so we take up the political tactics of our neighbors to secure victory by whatever means necessary. Or we take up arms and use force to secure our own safety, using violence to establish supposed peace. So we seek to get ahead in the world at the expense of our neighbors. So we seek prestige and honor and fame in the eyes of those around us, believing this is what truly matters. And in that temptation, we find that the third gateway is blocked by none other but ourselves. That it's me and my way that block this final gateway into the path of Christ. That I must renounce myself and my will and my own self-importance, my ways, my understanding. Here, dying to self becomes the final gateway into life with God. And with this third temptation, Jesus says, Go away, Satan. And in sending him away, places his feet firmly on the path that leads only to the cross. Will you join him? Will you too come to the cross bearing your own? Will you give up pursuing the things of this world as though they could satisfy? Will you give up worshiping safety and security instead of the God who holds you? Will you give up even your own self? Jesus Christ, we thank you for this story passed down to us in which we see not only that you loved us so much that you came and emptied yourself all the way down even to the point of being tempted like this, that you may know what it is to be human, that you may know what it is to live our lives and be tempted as we are, And yet you were faithful, and yet you went without sin, yet you chose God's ways each time. So Lord, in your example, may we too set our feet in the way of the cross. May we pass through these gateways, giving up material goods, giving up safety and security giving up even ourselves and our lives, that we may find true life, real life, abundant and everlasting life in you and in you alone. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.